Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, the Cowden family murders. But first, your true crime headlines. One person is dead, and four others are injured after a shooting at a Minnesota healthcare clinic. 67-year-old Gregory Ulrich was arrested after the Tuesday morning shooting at the Alina Healthcare Clinic. Police received a 911 call about shots fired just before 11 a.m. When officers arrived, they found multiple victims and took Ulrich into custody. The sheriff described the clinic as, quote, a horrible-looking scene. One person died at a hospital, and three others who were taken to another facility were in critical but stable condition, according to hospital officials. Ulrich was very familiar to law enforcement and was upset with his treatment. Buffalo Police Chief Pat Budke said that most likely the shooting was, quote, targeted at that facility or someone within that facility, given the suspect's history of conflict. We are very familiar with the suspect, he said. There is a history of him being unhappy with health care and with the health care he received, he said, adding that the suspect has lived in the area a long time. Authorities said that Ulrich's history with law enforcement dates back to 2003 and that they believe that Ulrich acted alone. Officers contacted the Minneapolis bomb squad after they found a suspicious package in the corner of the health clinic's lobby and several more suspicious devices at a nearby Super 8 motel where Ulrich was staying. Agents from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives were assisting. The police chief didn't comment on reports of explosions heard at the clinic or what investigators found. But he said, quote, We don't know or can't confirm what those devices were or really anything about what the intention behind those devices might have been until we're able to complete the investigation. Ulrich will appear in court on Thursday at 10.30 a.m. An Arkansas woman involved in a deadly crash in November has been charged with negligent homicide. State police reported that 30-year-old Brooke Schuyler Wells of Jonesboro was driving a 2020 Hyundai North on Arkansas 351 in Paragold on November 9th when her vehicle crossed the center line at about 6.45 p.m. Her vehicle collided head-on with a 2014 Nissan, driving in the opposite direction. The Nissan driver, 51-year-old Rosas Torres, was ejected from the vehicle and killed. Under Arkansas law, a person commits negligent manslaughter when they negligently cause the death of another person as the result of operating a vehicle, an aircraft, or a watercraft while intoxicated or fatigued. The law defines fatigued as having gone without sleep for 24 hours or being asleep. Wells was arrested Sunday in the case. A homicide investigation is underway after a dead body was discovered rolled up inside a carpet along the Compton Creek in Rancho Dominguez, California. Deputies were on patrol in the area just after 11 a.m. on Tuesday when they spotted the large carpet rolled up 
in an area north of Del Amo Boulevard, according to Los Angeles County Sheriff's officials. When they unrolled the carpet, deputies say they found the corpse of a man who'd been beaten and stabbed. The victim was only described as Latino, and the sheriff's department said that county coroner's officials were working to determine his identity. Investigators are searching for leads. Anyone with information is asked to contact the Sheriff's Homicide Bureau at 323-890-5500. Anonymous tips may be called in at 800-222-8477 or submitted via lacrimestoppers.org. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, the Cowden family murders. But first, a quick break. This episode is sponsored by Apostrophe, a prescription skincare company for people that are ready to take their acne seriously. Prescription acne treatment really works, but it's hard to get. And these days, no one wants to make an appointment to see a doctor and sit in line at the pharmacy for your medication. Well, now you don't have to. With Apostrophe. Apostrophe makes it easy to see a board-certified dermatologist online. You'll get treated immediately, and your medications are delivered straight to your home. They even come with cute customizable stickers to personalize your bottles. Apostrophe makes reaching your skincare goals easy and COVID-safe. Simply fill out Apostrophe's online questionnaire about your skin concerns and medical history, Then, just snap a few selfies, and your dermatologist will get back to you with a customized treatment plan tailored for your unique needs, all without leaving your couch. The best part is that Apostrophe offers topical and oral medications, so you can treat your acne from the inside out and the outside in. And if you have other skincare goals, like reducing redness, wrinkles, or dark spots, Apostrophe can help you with that too. Get $15 off your first visit with a board-certified dermatologist at apostrophe.com slash murderminute and use our code murderminute. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash murderminute and click begin visit. Then use the code MURDERMINUTE to sign up and you'll get $15 off your dermatology visit. That's A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash MURDERMINUTE and use the code MURDERMINUTE to get your dermatology visit for $15 off. We thank Apostrophe for sponsoring this podcast. Whether I'm taking a walk around my neighborhood running errands, or venturing out on my own. I always want to feel safe. That's why I never leave the house without my birdie. Birdie is a personal safety alarm designed to be easy to carry and simple to use. When you activate your birdie with a quick pull, the alarm will emit a loud 130 decibel siren and flashing strobe light to help deter an attacker. Unlike pepper spray or other deterrents, Birdie is no danger to you. Birdie goes wherever I go. The alarm comes in multiple colors 
and has a brass keychain so that you can easily attach it to your keys or your bag. Over 300,000 birdie alarms have already been sold, and they have thousands of five-star reviews. I have one birdie on my keys, one in my apartment, and one in my car, and I'm giving a birdie to every woman I know. Join the flock today for a safer tomorrow. Right now, She's Birdie is offering our listeners 15% off their first purchase when you go to she'sbirdie.com slash murder minute. Go to She's Birdie, spelled S-H-E-S-B-I-R-D-I-E dot com slash murder minute for 15% off. That's she'sbirdie.com slash murder minute. Everyone wants to keep their home and family safe. Whether it's from a break-in, a fire, flooding, or a medical emergency, Simply Safe Home Security delivers award-winning 24/7 protection. With Simply Safe, you don't just get an arsenal of cameras and sensors, you get the best professional monitors in the business. They've got your back day and night, ready to send police, fire, or EMTs when you need them most, straight to your door. Simply Safe's arsenal of sensors and cameras protect every inch of your home, and you can set it up yourself in about 30 minutes. It's super easy. Then Simply Safe's professionals take over, monitoring your home 24/7 and ready to send help the moment there's an alarm. Plus, with Simply Safe, there's no long-term contract, no hidden fees or installation costs. Right now, Murder Minute listeners get a free home security camera when you purchase a Simply Safe system at simplysafe.com/murderminute. You also get a 60-day risk-free trial, so there's nothing to lose. Visit simplysafe.com/murderminute for your free security camera today. That's simplysafe.com/murderminute. Welcome back to Murder Minute. On Labor Day weekend, 1974, the Cowden family left their White City, Oregon home and headed out on a camping trip. 28-year-old Richard Cowden, a logging truck driver, had planned to haul a load of gravel that weekend to work on their driveway. But the truck he planned to borrow fell through. So they decided to take a family trip to the mountains instead. On Friday, August 30th, Richard, his 22-year-old wife Belinda, their 5-year-old son David, their 5-month-old baby Melissa, and their faithful basset hound, Droopy, hopped into Richard's 1956 Ford pickup and set out for the Rogue River National Forest campground in the Siskiyou Mountains. Belinda's mother lived less than a mile from the campground, so they arranged to have dinner with her before going home on Sunday evening. At around 9 a.m. on Sunday, September 1st, their last day, Richard, David, and Drupi made the long walk to the Copper General Store, purchased some milk, and headed back to the campsite. It was the last time the family would ever be seen alive. 
That Sunday evening, Belinda's mother waited for the Cowdens to arrive for dinner. But they never showed up. So she got in her car and drove to the campsite. Richard's truck was still parked nearby. But the family was gone. Their campsite appeared as if they'd simply vanished. The keys to the truck and Belinda's purse were laying out on the picnic table next to the half-full carton of milk that Richard and David had purchased that morning. Melissa's diaper bag had also been left behind. But nothing looked disturbed. All of the Cowden family's belongings were accounted for. Only their bathing suits were missing. Thinking maybe they'd gone for a swim, the grandmother went to the creek. But there was no sign of them. When she noticed Richard's expensive watch and his wallet laying on the ground, she started to panic. Nearby lay an opened pack of cigarettes, the same brand smoked by her daughter. Still holding out hope that perhaps they'd gone for a hike and might return soon, the worried grandmother walked back to the campsite and waited. After waiting for about an hour, when still they hadn't returned, Belinda's mother left the campground to notify the authorities. Soon, the sheriff, troopers, and the District 3 Office of the Oregon State Police arrived at the campsite. The camp was spooky, one state trooper, Officer Erickson, said. Even the milk was still on the table. The camp stove was fully assembled. Fishing poles lay against a tree. A plastic dishpan full of cold water lay on the ground. And unused cooking utensils sat on a tree stump. Neither the camp nor Richard's car had been disturbed. There were no signs of a struggle. And both Belinda's purse and Richard's wallet retained their contents. Richard's wallet still contained $21 in cash, equivalent to over $100 today. No robbery. It was as if the Cowdens just walked away. Officers searched the area until nightfall, resolving to return the following day. The next morning, someone else returned. Droopy. The Cowden's Basset Hound was found scratching at the door of the Copper General Store. A full-scale search was launched, one of the largest in Oregon history. Lieutenant Mark Kazar, who headed the case, would later state the investigation had been, quote, delayed for maybe a day because of the lack of indication at the campsite that anything violent may have occurred. Over the next six days, the United States Forest Service, state and local police, volunteers, explorer scouts, and the National Guard searched 25 miles of roads and trails surrounding the Cowden's campsite as helicopters and planes flew over the area using infrared photography, 
which could detect recently overturned dirt. But they found nothing. The Oregon State Police and Jackson County Police conducted over 150 individual interviews. A $2,000 reward was offered for information, equivalent to roughly $10,500 today. And Richard Cowden's sister wrote a letter to the Medford Mail Tribune, asking hunters in the area to keep an eye out for anything that could be connected to a man, woman, a five-year-old child, or five-month-old baby, adding, quote, even though we try not to let our hopes dwindle that they will be found alive, we ask that you will even check freshly turned piles of earth. We will truly appreciate any clue or help that some hunter may find. But despite the scale of the effort and the offer of a reward, there was still no sign of the Cowdens. The official search would be called off on September 7, 1974. But friends and relatives kept looking, returning on weekends and using their vacation time to return to the area and continue the search. Weeks turned to months. Some speculated that the family had gone swimming in the creek and drowned, but no bodies were ever found in the water. Others wondered if the family had any reason to want to disappear. But an investigation into their finances showed little debt. The Cowdens weren't behind on any payments, and Richard wasn't struggling financially. Family and friends saw no reason that the Cowdens would choose to disappear, leaving everything they owned behind. So what happened to them? In 1974, there were a total of eight reported missing women in Washington and Oregon, and for a time, law enforcement believed that they may be connected to the Cowdens. But the disappearances of those eight women would later be linked to serial killer Ted Bundy. Over 200 citizens wrote to then-Oregon Senator Mark Hatfield, requesting that the FBI look into the Cowdens' disappearance. Their petition was denied on the grounds that there was, quote, no evidence that the Cowdens had been kidnapped or taken across state lines. Then, on April 12, 1975, seven and a half months after the Cowdens disappeared, two gold prospectors from Forest Grove, Oregon, were walking through the woods near Carberry Creek approximately seven miles from the Cowden's campsite when they came upon the remains of an adult male tied to a tree. In a small cave 200 yards away, the entrance of which was sealed with rocks, lay the bodies of an adult female, a child, and an infant. Dental records confirmed that they were the remains of the Cowden family. Previous searches had missed the spot by just 100 feet. No one had searched the steep hillside the cave was on. We're hopeful that something real significant will turn up, Lieutenant Kezar told the bulletin. There have been no substantial leads until now. 
autopsies revealed that both David and Belinda had died as a result of 22 caliber gunshot wounds. Baby Melissa was killed by blunt force trauma to the head. Richard's cause of death was unclear. It's a presumed homicide, said Dr. William Brady, state medical examiner. I'm sure he was shot, even though we can't prove it. Considering the possibility that Richard may have murdered his family, detectives searched the area for a gun, but found no weapons of any kind. The whole nature of the thing smacks of a weirdo, Lieutenant Kezar said. He had a theory about what happened when the Cowdens went swimming. While at the creek, someone came up to them, most likely with a gun. The killer would have forced the family into his vehicle and driven them to the remote area where their bodies were found. Then he forced the family to hike up the hillside before he killed them. Putting the wife and kids into the cave and leaving the father where he had been killed. It could be that the killer couldn't carry Richard and stuff him into the cave like he could with Belinda and the kids. Five months after the bodies were found, a fifth member of the Cowden family died when Richard's father committed suicide. Wes Cowden, Richard's brother, told the Bulletin that the family had been very close and that his brother was a trusting man. He probably found himself trapped by a stranger who stopped at the camp and struck up a conversation. You don't want to get into my brother's situation, Wes Cowden said, because I'm sure things were out of control before he even knew there was a problem. My brother was different than me. On an outing like that, he wouldn't have been carrying a weapon, and I wouldn't think of being up there without one. Investigators were looking for a stranger with no known motive. Police received hundreds of letters filled with everything from amateur theories to psychic visions and people who believed they solved the mystery in a dream. You have to remember, Kezar told the Tri-City Herald, it was summer and there were all sorts of people in that area, so-called hippie type a motorcycle group, and so on. One family from Los Angeles, California, had arrived at the campground at 5 p.m. on September 1st, the day of the Cowden's disappearance. They told investigators that as they walked in the park that evening, they witnessed two men and a woman parking nearby in a pickup truck. They acted like they were waiting for us to leave they said. And frankly, they made us nervous, so we moved on. After the family's bodies were found, a resident of Grant's Pass, who had volunteered in the initial search, told police that he had searched the cave where Belinda and the children's bodies were found at the time, and that they were not in it. Authorities had not revealed the cave's location. 
so to confirm that the man was referring to the same cave, law enforcement had the man escort them to the cave he had searched in September. It was the same cave. This led authorities to believe that Belinda and the children may have been taken elsewhere, killed, and later moved to the cave. Investigators suspected that the man responsible was most likely a local who knew the area well and was aware of the cave's location. One man who fit the profile was 25-year-old Dwayne Lee Little. In November of 1964, at age 15, Little raped and killed 16-year-old Orla Faye Phipps, was convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison. But Little was paroled from Oregon State Penitentiary on May 24, 1974, just four months before the Cowden family's disappearance. And Little was seen in copper over the Labor Day weekend. Little's girlfriend told law enforcement that she had seen him with a 22 caliber gun during Christmas of 1974. His possession of the firearm led to his parole being revoked on January 12, 1975. But on April 26, 1977, he was paroled again. Three years later, on June 2nd, 1980, Little picked up a pregnant 23-year-old named Margie Hunter. Margie's car had broken down near Portland. Little raped and beat her, but she survived the attack. On November 20, 1980, Dwayne Lee Little was charged and convicted of attempted homicide and sentenced to three consecutive life sentences. Oregon State Police believed that the two men and woman in the truck reported by the Los Angeles family at the campground were Little and his parents, as their truck matched the description provided by the witnesses. Shortly before the Cowden family disappeared, Little had purchased gas near the campgrounds, and a miner who owned a cabin nearby told investigators that Little and his parents had stopped by on Labor Day and even signed a guest book that he kept for visitors. When questioned by law enforcement, Little and his parents denied any knowledge of the Cowden's disappearance, or even being in copper. Since his incarceration, Dwayne Lee Little has been uncooperative, refusing to discuss any of his crimes with law enforcement or as part of mental health treatment. The only person he may have told was former cellmate Floyd Forsberg, who claims that Little once confessed to him that he killed the Cowdens. But with only circumstantial evidence, Little has never been charged for the Cowden family murders. People's lives, other people's lives to him are absolutely of no concern. He wants what he wants, and if I have to kill her to get it, that's the way it is, said former Oregon State Police Detective Richard Davis. The ones you don't convict, the ones that get away, they're the ones that haunt you.
Little is currently serving the remainder of his sentence at the Oregon State Penitentiary. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime, anytime, download the Murder Minute app, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Murder Minute, and join us every Saturday for a live post-mortem on Stereo.